Well, last week we focused on chapter 3 where Peter and John heal a lame man at the gate of the temple. The healing was totally a work of God as Peter and John made it clear that the only thing they could give the man was the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and that's all the man needed. Uh, This lame man was asking for alms so that he could have enough to make it from day to day with his handicap. He had resigned himself to simply that kind of a simple life, not having funds, not having a job, not having friends, but going to temple, sitting out at the gate, collecting enough money to have food to eat, and that was his existence. And, and yet, he never suspected that more could be added to his life than a few coins each day. But at the name of Jesus, his ankles and his feet were strengthened, and now he is leaping up and down, jumping around, hanging on to Peter and John because of a healing that Jesus did. It was at the name of Jesus that this man was healed. It was not because of Peter and John. And so, if you remember the story, the reason that they even stopped was because they were on their way into the temple courtyard where they would gather with other Christians and have an hour of prayer. They would do that three times a day at 9 a.m., at noon, and 3 in the afternoon. And so, they took the man with them. They went into the, to the uh, courtyard, and there the Christians were gathered And immediately, this healing drew a crowd because the people knew this man to be a cripple who was always begging at the gate. And now he's jumping up and down, hanging on to Peter and John. And the crowd then begins to attribute this miracle to these two men. And Peter preaches his second sermon. His first was on the day of Pentecost. Now he preaches a second sermon. And guess what his message is about? It's the same exact message that he preached on the day of Pentecost. I want to say this about Peter preaching the same message. There is no other message. (laughs) No church should ever preach any message beyond Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. That is the message. That you and I have been fully forgiven of our sins through the justification by faith that comes in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we preach that, things begin to happen in people's lives. When we get off point and start preaching our little side whatever, doing a side show in the pulpit, we might attract people, but it's not to God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, not you, not a preacher, not a a church leadership team, not a vocal team, not a band. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus doesn't need our help. The gospel of Christ does not need our help. And they simply preached the gospel, that Jesus is the reason for this man's healings. Look at verse 22. Peter begins to look into the Old Testament and explain from the Scriptures who Jesus really is. In verse 22, it says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 
and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came down. Uh, this is an Old Testament passage, by the way. And all the prophets uh, who, came to, who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is what Peter was preaching to the people listening who were there at a healing of a blame man. <laughs> He's taking them to the Old Testament. Now look at verse 1 in our text today. Because I want you to see that what Peter is doing is calling this crowd to repentance. And that stirs up quite a controversy among a certain sect of the Jews. <laughs> and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, you might want to underline Sadducees or write that out in your notes, they came upon them. And the Sadducees were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. In the Gospels, when Jesus walked the earth, it was the Pharisees who were his primary opponents. <laughs> the Pharisees were radical fundamentalists who despised the fact that Jesus and his disciples didn't follow their rituals and their human traditions. If you remember from our study in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus confronted the Pharisees as they came to him with a question. It was in Matthew 15, around verse 2. And the question was to Jesus, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, was that a Ten Commandment? Was that one of the commandments of God? Uh, I don't think so. Jesus wasn't in the mood of answering their illegitimate question. So he asked them a question. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your illegitimate traditions? You're breaking the Ten Commandments, but you're worried about these little side commandments that you have written in order to try to look righteous. Jesus didn't like to, to he, he didn't take softly the hypocrites. He took them very seriously. <coughs> well, excuse me. Well, here in the book of Acts, it's a different sect of Jewish leaders who opposes the disciples. It's not the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees. The Sadducees were different from the Pharisees in that they didn't believe in the resurrection or in an afterlife. So what we have here is we have these people who are sad, you see. <laughs> when you don't believe in the resurrection, there's nothing to be happy about. And uh, these were materialists. They put all their emphasis on the material world, the physical realm. They hated the church for the miracles and healings that were occurring. They really hated any talk about the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, thank you, thank you, brother. What a blessing. Dan just blessed me with a cough drop. Amen. You ever get a scratch in your throat and it just annoys you? See, Satan's trying to just take away, but we just kicked him right in the, right in the you know what. <laughs> Amen. 
Amen. So, these guys walk up on Peter, who's preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they get sideways real fast. Look at verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. The reason they arrested them was because it was evening. They're not allowed, according to Jewish law, to hold trial after dark, which is exactly what they did with Jesus. They broke the law. But now they're trying to uphold the law. Why? Because there's a crowd watching. Those that took Jesus did it in private, in silence. But now the crowd's watching, so they have to follow the law. And they simply arrested them to wait until the morning to have a trial. Now, I love this. It says, they kept them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Next verse, look at this. Now, Peter's just, they just cut him off in his sermon, but he got enough of it in. Look at this. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Why? Because Peter was a gifted orator? No. He was a fisherman. They came to the Lord because the word of the living God was given to them. The seed was sown among that crowd, and what came out of the ground was wheat, not weeds. It's the work of the Lord. Anytime someone says it's not a work of man, it's a work of the Lord. The takeaway here is that when we're faithful to share the gospel with people, salvation will follow. I want to say that again. When you and I are faithful to sow the seed of God's word in the ground, listen, salvation will follow. You say, well, that's not been the experience. Usually I'm, it's rejection that I get. I lose friends over it. Salvation will follow. You might not get to see it. You're the one culti- cultivating the ground. You're the one that's watering the soil. But the Lord's the one who sends the sun, the light to shine upon them and open their eyes to the truth of his word. And it might not happen for 20 years, 50 years. For some, it doesn't happen. But there are others, when you're faithful to the word, salvation will occur in their life. This is the word of God. The scripture says that the word of God never returns void. So don't ever measure or judge whether the word of God's been faithful to that person that you shared with. That's God's business. You just be a good sower, like Peter, and get the word out there. And so you and I need to be faithful. We should share the word with people at work. We should share the word with our children in the home. We should share the word with our neighbors up and down the street. We should share the word of the living God with our mother-in-law. We should share the word of God with our grandpa. We should share the word of God with our pets, just for practice. (laughs) Share the word. Allow the word to do its work. Amen. Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders, scribes and and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. You need to know that it was a family affair. The priests were all related. And uh, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas was the high priest before him. 
And they're the ones that set up the money changing in the temple courtyard when Jesus was on the earth and he came in and he, he turned their tables over and ran them out of the temple with a whip. Why? Because these men were making it difficult for people to worship God. They were char charging exorbitant amounts of money for people to purchase an animal that could be given to the priest for sacrifice. Making it difficult for people to worship God. We should never allow anything for the worship services that we have. Nothing here should hinder people from seeing God clearly. We, we don't want to bring attention to other things. We don't bring attention to football teams. We don't bring attention to a certain personality in the room. All the attention goes to Jesus. Only he can save, and that's why we've gathered, amen? To encourage, to be edified, and to see the Lord's salvation. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Interesting that they asked for a name. By what name did you heal this man? Let me tell you why they asked that. Because in the Old Testament Scripture, it declares that anyone who performs a miracle in the name of anyone other than Jehovah should be stoned to death. So I could actually see this council that's meeting, holding trial with Peter and John, holding stones in their hand while they ask, so what name, by what name did you, did this, was this man healed? And that's found in Deuteronomy 13, by the way. That's the Old Testament law. So here you have Caiaphas, Annas, and the boys ready with stones in their hands to pounce on Peter and John if they give credit to Jesus. And Peter, look what it says in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. But friends, remember, we learned from the Greek preposition en, E-N, that that's when the Holy Spirit comes into us, when we're saved. And the work of the Spirit in us is a subjective work. The work is to mature you, to grow you, to conform you to the image of Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit comes in us. That's why he fills us. It's for us. But on the day of Pentecost, which was just a few days before, the Holy Spirit came upon them. That is an entirely different Greek preposition, ipi, E-P-I, ipi. And it means to be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to get saved to know that the Spirit of God now resides in you for the purpose of sanctification, to grow you as a believer. It's another thing entirely when you allow the Holy Spirit to infuse you with the Word of God and to grow you and mature you until the point you are overflowing. Now, that's not for you. The overflow, the ippy, is for others. And that's what's happening here. Peter is not just filled with the Spirit, but Peter just experienced the ippy of the Holy Spirit, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. And that strengthens him. And look what happens. And he said to these leaders who arrested him, rulers of the people and elders. Now remember, 
just a few couple months, it was just two months earlier, Peter was standing by a fire denying Jesus. He was not standing for Christ. And just two months later, filled with the Spirit, the Spirit having come upon him, he now has a confidence and a boldness in Christ. And he says, rulers of the elders, of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. I mean, he's not backing down here, folks. He should not say it. They're just waiting for him to say another name than God. And of course he's not, but they don't think that. And so he says, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, oh man, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So he is attributing to Jesus Christ, he's attributing to him as being God. He is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Notice the boldness of Peter. We did this in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. Verse 11, this Jesus is this, he goes further. Now he just goes ahead and expounds with these Jewish leaders who know the Old Testament so well. That's when, when it says in the Bible, scriptures, it's always capital S, it's a reference to the Old Testament. That's what they knew. They didn't have the New Testament yet. And they wouldn't receive it anyway. And so Peter actually begins now to use their scripture, the Old Testament, to expound on who Jesus is. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, who has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It would do us well to remember that in this day that we live. There seem to be so many saviors out there, so-called political saviors, so-called kings and presidents, and they all seem to have all the answers, and they're going to fix everything. They can't fix anything. There's only one savior, and his name is Jesus. And this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the chief priests, rejected by the Sadducees, rejected by the Pharisees, rejected by the leaders of Jerusalem. He's actually quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. Let me give it to you. Psalm 118, 22. The stone that was the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You rejected not just a stone in the building, you rejected the cornerstone, the most important stone in the whole building. You rejected that's a reference of the construction of the temple. Later in his epistle, Peter would write that we are, we are living stones and we are part of a spiritual house. Amen? It's the body of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5. Sometimes we rub each other the wrong way in the body of Christ. That's what living stones do. We're supposed to do that. We rub against each other and know the... And, and, and as we rub against each other, oh, I just don't get along with him. Oh, here he is. He's at church again. Oh. God put him in the church with you because you have rough edges, and God is going to use him to soften the edges of you. 
I don't know why I married this guy. Good grief. He's lazy. He's stubborn. Blah, 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 blah. God knew you needed him to soften you. And he needs you to get him going. Whatever the situation is, this is the body of Christ. Listen, it ain't perfect. If anybody is perfect sitting here today, please stand and tell us who you are. And you better say Jesus. Because that's the only one I know of who's perfect. None of us qualify for that, right? We're just a bunch of imperfect people in a tumbler, rough-edged stones. And as we tumble together as the body of Christ, not walking out because I didn't get my way. And he said this to me. Instead of doing what the Bible says, Jesus said, go to your brother, confront him with that sin lovingly, work it out. See, that's you in the tumbler. And what's it doing? It's polishing the stones. It's refining you. Don't run from a church that's imperfect. You're the reason it's imperfect. If you leave this church and go, you'll make them imperfect. No perfect churches. They don't exist. It's interesting looking at this passage about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Peter's preaching it here. Tradition has it that in the days of the construction of Solomon's temple, although the engineers at the temple uh, searched high and low, they couldn't find the cornerstone. Let me tell you how it worked. This is amazing when you think about it. It was limestone, and they had these deep caverns, and they would go down into these caverns, and they would cut out the limestone and send each piece up for the construction of Solomon's temple. These stones were so accurately cut that when they would set a stone on another, they never had to say, hey, send this one back. They need to cut off a little bit of the corner here on this side. We'll, 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 we'll draw it up for them, show them what they No, they were perfect. It, it was said that on Solomon's temple, you could not slip a piece of paper between the stones. They fit so well. They did not use mortar. It was a perfect fit. And they were sending up these, they just knew. They had the plans laid out, the blueprint. They would cut and cut, and they knew which one was going to stack on which one. And the corner pieces, they cut. I mean, they just did the whole thing. They would transport this stuff from this cavern all the way up and set them right in place. But this one came up, and they looked at it, and they thought, this isn't going to fit. This isn't right. What do we do with this one? And they took it and threw it over to the side. They actually threw it to, down the hill to Gehenna. Gehenna was a dump. It's where there was a constant burning of trash. And the stone rolled down into Gehenna. And they continued to bring the stones up, and they built the temple until finally they said, now we need the cornerstone. Send the cornerstone up. And they said, we sent that up a long time ago. What are you talking about? No, you didn't. Yeah, we did. It's there. You got to look for it. And they went looking, and somebody remembered that one stone. Where is it? It's down in Gehenna. It's in the trash dump. It was totally rejected by the builders. That's who Jesus is. The chief cornerstone. Rejected by man. But he holds the whole building. The living building. The church together. 
I think it's important that we understand that what makes fellowship in the church so rich is not that we all get along all the time. If you're looking for that in the church, you'll never find it. What makes this rich is that we are committed to work on our relationships through Jesus Christ. He and only he could bring this kind of a crazy crowd together. If you knew the stories, the backstories on the people sitting around you, you'd say, I would have never chosen them for a friend. They're not my kind of people. You got people here who have a little bit of money. You got people here who wish they had a little money. You got people here with different nationality backgrounds. You've got people here with very sinful backgrounds and others who have very sinful backgrounds that they don't think they even sin. You got all kinds of weird stuff going on in this room. But what holds us together is the chief cornerstone. It's the only reason we gather. We don't gather because we have some great, you know, Harley-Davidson motorcycle club for Christians. We don't gather because, you know, we, we all like the same kind of things. No, we have different likes. So what, gather, what causes us to want to be together every week is Christ. That's all we need. And when we take the focus off of Jesus and put it on all this other nonsense, now we're no longer a church. Now we become the community club. Go ahead and call us Kiwanis. Call us, you know, JCs, whatever you want to call us. We're no longer the church. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Who are these unlearned and ignorant men? They, they didn't study with our scholars. How is it that they understand the Old Testament scriptures? Remember it was on the road to Emmaus when Jesus, after his resurrection, caught up with a couple of the disciples who were leaving Jerusalem? And he walked right up to them, started talking with them, but he did not reveal who he was. Somehow he cloaked his identity as the Christ. They just saw him as a man walking along and they were all down in the dumps because of the death of Christ. And, you know, he said, what, what's going on? And they're looking at him, where, where have you been the last week? Who are you? Of course, Jesus, our Savior, was killed. Do you not know that? They're talking to the one who died. And he didn't reveal. And then it says, beginning with the script. In fact, I got the passage here. It's Luke 24, 27. Write it down. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, all the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. That's when the disciples came into full knowledge because these guys ran back and told the twelve. That's when the disciples came into full knowledge that Jesus is the fulfillment of of everything in the Old Testament. Even though he had said it to them, but they still didn't compute. Now they get it. Now, Peter's telling these scholars the truth about the text that they've always studied, that they didn't understand. In the Old Testament, Jesus is a shadow. In the New Testament, he's the substance. 
and they're seeing the substance before them. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I want you to note that the lame man not only stood with Peter and John in the temple, but he stood with them in their time of trial. This guy didn't abandon them when, when the pressure was on. He could have easily said when the, when the, when the leaders came and took them away, uh, guys, th thanks for the healing. Great to know you. We'll see you later. I'm out of here. He didn't do that. He went with them. And when they're standing trial, the man who was healed is with them. Listen, friends, is that true of your relationship with Jesus? That when pressure's on, when persecution is before you, are you found standing next to Jesus? Or is that when you run? See, the measuring value of a relationship or friendship is not when things are good. It's easy to hang out at church together. Oh, yeah, we go to church together. Yeah, but what about on Tuesday when that church guy that you hang out with on Sunday is sharing Christ and people are mocking and laughing at him? Are you anywhere to be found? Or do you kind of like back away from the water fountain and go back to work and leave him standing alone? The body of Christ, we are all in this for the same reason, to bring forth the name of Jesus. And so we stand with one another. That's the mark of true friendship. You know who your friends are when things get tough. The same is true of your relationship with Christ and the relationship that you have with other brothers and sisters. It's easy to be friends when, with Christians when we're at church. It's a whole other thing to be friends in the world. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men for that, that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them with this. Look at this. Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And by the way, that day is upon us now. Don't speak and don't teach at all in the name of Jesus. If we don't heed this warning and stand now for Christ, we'll never stand in the days to come. Just remember, in the end, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't want to wait until the end to have to kneel and bow before Jesus. Now it's too late. You'll do it, but not as a believer. You want to choose to follow Jesus by faith now, when it's tough, when it's hard. Bow before Him, kneel before Him. Give thanks to God for him. Stand for him in the day that we're in. We can't go along with your game and acts as though we don't know the truth because we know the truth. That's what these guys are telling them. You're playing a game right now. We're not going to play with you. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be judged. In other words, you've got you to listen to God yourself for whether or not we are supposed to listen to you or listen to God. You're going to make your decision and you might say, no, you've got to listen to us, and you're going to go ahead and stone us to death. That's your choice. But we're going to tell you right now, 
for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We will not cease to speak or teach the name of Jesus. Praise God for men and women who stand on the truth of God's word. Praise God for them. You say, well, pastor, I just have a hard time speaking about the Lord. Maybe it's because you haven't seen or heard much from the Lord lately. You say, how do I hear from the Lord? You open his word. You spend time in his word. You become more familiar than ever with his word. And now confidence comes up in you. Boldness comes up in you. Now you know how to respond to people who are in opposition to the name of Jesus. Now you stand for Christ as you should. The reason you're not hearing and speaking is because you're not seeing in the Word what's going on. I find that my witness is proportional to my time with God. When I have spent time in the Word, I have this Holy Spirit boldness that comes over me. Because what's happening is, as I'm in the Word, the Holy Spirit who lives in me is now using that Word to guide me into all truth, to strengthen my confidence so that I can stand. But when I am not in the Word, I don't witness much. See, it's not about you. It's about you adhering to, trusting in, relying upon the Word of the living God by the Holy Spirit in you. Verse 21, and they, when they had further threatened them, so it didn't stop there. They went ahead and said a few more things to try to threaten these two men. Then they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all the people were praising God for what had happened. I love that. Remember now, the people at first, they were gathering around because they thought Peter and John healed this guy. But now Peter's preached a sermon. Peter took the focus off of himself. He said, don't brag on us, brag on Jesus. He's the one that healed this man. Now all of a sudden, these folks have been watching the trial. They heard what these men said. We'll never stop speaking the name of Jesus. And now it says here in the text that they all were praising God for what had happened. Praising God, not Peter and John. That's healthy, man. That's so good. After we give Jesus all the glory for the miracle performed to this lame man, all the people rightly praise God rather than Peter and John. Matthew 5.14, listen to what Jesus said. This is for us today. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, here it is, when you let the light of Christ shine, they will see your good works of the faithfulness that standing up against opposition, you're not going to back down because you're completely given to Christ. And they'll see your good works and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They won't glorify you. You know, you're not going to stand there and look out and they're just praising your name and you're going, oh no, stop, stop, stop. Please, no, no. No, it's it's... You have stood for Jesus. And now they glorify Jesus. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's all we do. Lift Jesus up. This, this man's healing. Verse, verse 22, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. You say, why didn't God heal him before? 
If he's such a loving God, why did he wait 40 years to heal this man? This is where people hang up today. They start playing these games in their head because they can't figure out why God does what he does. Do you understand that's what qualifies him to be God? He's not like you. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't react like you. He is sovereign. He's in total control. And everything has a perfect time, place, and purpose according to his will, not yours. He let this guy go 40 years. You say, Lord, why aren't you working in this? I've been praying. I've been believing. Where are you, Lord? It's been 40 minutes. It's been 40 days. It's been 40 years. Where are you? It can even be a lifetime. And we never see the healing for that person. Their whole life, they live with that frailty or that impairment, crippled, never healed. And we've asked, what is the Lord doing? Why isn't he working? Take hold of God's word, brothers and sisters. Don't lose heart. At the right time, according to God's will, the Lord will work all things to his glory he let this particular man go 40 years a cripple. But when he healed him, it brought glory to God. Scripture says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. No, but I saw they went to their death with that impairment. And then the Lord delivered him or her out of them all either we line up with a holy god who is so different than us or we create a god after ourselves which is no god at all that's the choice and when they were released they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Interesting here. So they were released from these chief priests. And where did they go? They made a beeline for the church. They went to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Where do you go when you're in trouble? Where do you go when trials come upon you? Where do you go when you're under pressure? Do you run down to the corner bar? You hang out with the lounge lizards? I mean, what do, you, where do you, what do you do? We should go to the Lord. Either go to the lounge or go to the Lord. That's your choice. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord's people. They're not perfect, but they're like you. They face trials too. Together you pray over them, and that's what these guys do. And they, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I want you to see, this is interesting. The church begins to pray immediately once they hear. They don't go into gossip. They don't go into negative fault finding. They don't start talking bad about all the chief priests and spend all their time talking about how bad life is in the, in, under the chief priests. They don't do any of that nonsense. They just go to prayer. And they, there's three things they focus on in prayer. The first thing, it's very obvious. 
They worship God in their prayer. Look what they said. Sovereign Lord. They remembered how God is in control of everything. Who made the heavens and the earth. He's creator and the sea and everything in them, including us. When you're feeling overwhelmed or under pressure, it's always a good idea to start by remembering who you're praying to. They are praying to the Lord. You and I are praying to the Lord. Sometimes our problems seem so big and insurmountable until we start to worship God in our prayers. And all of a sudden, those problems get smaller as God gets bigger. Now we can handle the problems that we're facing. So we need to start our prayers by remembering who our Father is in heaven. He is the creator of all things. There is nothing too hard for him. Jeremiah 32, 17. Write that verse down. Jeremiah 32, 17. This week, when pressure comes on you, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're failing in something and you just don't know where to turn, you turn to Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you you hand over whatever mess you're in you hand that lord i can't handle this one this is yours because i'm your servant you hand it over to him verse 25 who through the mouth of our father david your servant said by the holy spirit why did the gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they, they, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The next thing they do after they recognize the greatness of God is they begin to see the works of God in their midst. We need to see God working in our midst. God's in control. They remembered what Scripture said about what they could experience in their day. See, here's the thing. Whatever's happening to you, it's already in the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon, the wisest man on the earth, said that. Whatever you're experiencing, you just aren't spending enough time in the Word to remember that it's in the Bible. Because if you remember it's in the Bible, now all of a sudden you don't lose it. Oh, God's got this covered. There's nothing too big for God. And God's already told me this was going to happen. He, Jesus said that if you're persecuted for my name's sake, you're blessed. So why am I worried about it? Why am I belly aching about it? Just take it and receive it and thank God for it. Amen. I'm persecuted today. Oh, hallelujah. What wonderful. You come to your brother or your sister and you, oh, today you just wouldn't know. You, don't, you just don't understand what they did to me. What? What happened? They, they, they persecuted me for being a Christian. Praise God. Hallelujah, brother. High five. <laughs> that ought to be the response. When you have God in you, when you have the Word of God in you, what does it matter what this life throws at us? And then he says in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The last thing they do is they pray that they would remain faithful to the one true faithful God. In other words, Lord, okay, you're awesome. You told us this stuff would happen. Now give me the strength to stand up under it. Now you just had a complete prayer. You say, but wait a minute. But God didn't remove the problem. No, he didn't. He just strengthened you to endure it. That's better. Remember now, as you go through trials, what happens? 
you are being refined. Stop running from the very thing God's using to try and make you a better Christian. He's trying to grow you up. Turn to the person next and say, you need to grow up a little bit. Some of you are taking way too much delight in saying that to your spouse. I'm glad I'm up here and Rini's sitting on the front row. <laughs> she would say that to me, definitely. And it's necessary. Okay. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Why? Because they were praying in agreement and in accordance with the will and the word of the living God. They were not praying their own prayers, selfish prayers, worrying about their own little piddly problems. Woe is me. They are actually lining up with God as Christians who are stones that are part of a living stone, and they are being transformed into God's people that he can use. Verse 31, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great, here it is, with great power by the work of the Spirit in them for witnessing, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and by great grace they were all filled with great grace. It came upon them all. I love that. The church should have power and grace. Power and grace. Power to stand for Christ and grace to know that he's doing the work and he has saved me and it's not me, it's him. And I'm so thankful that his grace has covered me. Amen. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. So thus Joseph, who was also called the apostles by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They were doing whatever they could. But listen, understand, they shared together not out of compulsion, but out of compassion. Not out of obligation, but out of love. This is not communism, where they're forced. Everybody's going to have the same. That's not what this is. This is compassion and love that is compelling this wonderful act of giving. That's how we want to function, right? Amen? It's a wonderful time to remind you that we get, a ble- get an opportunity to bless Angela Fouts and her three children coming up. You got the, I think, from by email, you received the little uh, letter uh, that Jeff passed just a little over a year ago. And uh, from the beginning of Vero Bible Fellowship, they were part of our fellowship. And, and, and Angela has just done everything she can to continue on a young mom with three small children and she's working from home and doing all she can and many of her friends and family after jeff's passing came alongside her to love her encourage her and i told her at that time angela we're going to wait just a little while to help you because you're getting plenty of help right now but we'll know when and and the lord's made it very clear to us as elders and leaders the time is now so we're going to bless angela and her three children it's out of the same vein of this passage where there's a need, we come alongside. Isn't that beautiful? And it's not just one person. If there's other needs, we want to hear about them. We have a benevolence committee. We have a benevolence fund to help 
first and foremost, those in the body. It says, be good unto all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. So when we have people in the body who are struggling, we want to hear about it so that we might be a blessing, that we might live out the Scripture that's here. But most importantly, that we might live the Word of God, the Scripture, in this world, sharing Jesus with everybody we meet. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your Word and thank you for this teaching today uh, from Scripture that really calls us to live after the same attitude, the same heart, the same infilling of the early church. This is not supposed to end. It's not like the book of Acts is written and then it all comes to a close. It wasn't that the epistles were written and then it comes to a close. It wasn't that the revelation was written and then it comes to a close. We are the continuation of the early church 2,000 years later. And we're so thankful to have the word to know how to have relationship with you and to walk in the spirit and to have relationship with other members of the body of Christ. Lord, strengthen this fellowship at Bureau Bible Fellowship. May the fellowship only grow continually and may it just catapult us into a love for the world where others can know Jesus too. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, come up front if you'd like to be prayed for. Our elders and some prayer partners will be here to pray with you about any matter in your life. Thank you for coming to church today. Make sure you fellowship on your way out. Be a blessing to others. Don't forget the Operation Christmas Child. If you haven't taken a box for Christmas to bless a child, go ahead and take one. If not, two. God bless.